Is he about to confront me about something that I don't know about? <laughs> no, that's a, this is an interesting section of Scripture. So we're, um, we've been in First uh, Timothy for a couple months now. Um, and so as you, as you may recall, you know, the um, earlier in this chapter, Paul talked about how to honor widows, right? And that was, he spent some time talking about um, who those widows were, widows indeed, he called them, women who met certain qualifications. And a lot of this letter is about that. What qualifies as leadership? Uh, what does leadership look like? Uh, that's the, you know, the title of the series. And uh, in the last chapter and a half or so, he's talking about the leaders of the church and how they should lead. But, it, you know, it's easy for us to tune that out and go, well, I'm not an elder or I'm not a pastor, so that's for somebody else. But it all applies uh, to all of us. You know? It's just that um, the church is just something that should be happening at home being done on a bigger scale, on, you know, maybe on a platform or whatever. Um, so we're going to pick up in verse 17 tonight and see as he describes some more things about how to deal with leadership in the church, and because leaders do get it wrong sometimes, um, and, uh, and I'm sure all of us can relate to that. Right? I know you're always right, but uh, for me, I get some things wrong from time to time. Although I tell my kids I know everything, I just can't remember it all at once. But that's a, that's a different issue. All right, let's pray and we'll get into it. Uh, Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us another opportunity to uh, fellowship and worship. We're thankful that you're raising up new teachers in our church. And, uh, Lord, we, uh, we pray that you continue to bless them, bless this service, help us to understand your word and understand you better so that we can see who we can be. In you. Lord, we uh, pray for your blessing on the message and on the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Alright, so 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse 17. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so, uh, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, who these elders were, what the qualifications were, uh, but they were supposed to be, you know, spiritual, godly men that had been appointed by the church to serve as the, uh, the spiritual ministers and leaders in the congregation. And uh, so all the prerequisites for that position he lists in chapter 3. And Titus talks about it a, a little bit as well, but but these are the guys that, um, basically, we call them pastors for the most part. Right? Um, like I said, earlier in the chapter, he talked about honoring widows. These went widows indeed, these women that were, you know, over a certain age and met certain qualifications that the church would financially support them. And then he says, these elders who rule well are, are worthy of double honor. Right? He talked about honoring them, and then let's give these guys double honor. So an elder who does a good job and especially works hard at preaching and and uh, and teaching should be considered uh, worthy of double honor, he says. And the word he uses here for honor, you, you may uh, think of the word honorarium. 
right? If someone comes and speaks at a college or whatever, or you know, they're, they're often given an honorarium. It's a you know financial reward for their their work. Now, he says they're worthy of double honor. It doesn't mean that they they should be paid double what the widows were were paid or anything like that. Yeah, right. I could be uh, I could be uh, campaigning for a raise here, but, but it, it basically he means that these men should be thought of as by the congregation as being worth twice what they're paid. Like we wish we could do more to to take care of you, but we're, to appreciate what it is that you do. Now some people have a big problem with that idea. You know, just, a lot of it depends on the background you may have with church. Um, and I can understand that, especially when we see people who have taken advantage of, of this concept. Um, there are definitely, we can think of plenty of examples of charlatans, you know, who are, they live a lifestyle that few in their congregation could afford. Uh, I, I am thinking of one preacher in particular I saw last year, he was just kind of browbeating his congregation because they needed to buy him a private jet. So that he could minister somehow. I don't know. Um, I, you know, I couldn't get a private Chevette out of you guys, so like I don't know what. <laughs> but but no, when we see those things, these, these you know people living extravagant lifestyles off of the giving of the church, that is not at all what God had in mind. I think um, personally, I think a pastor and elder should. Uh, who you know meets these qualifications should be able to lead a lifestyle similar to the average person in the church, and uh, you know whatever that may look like. I've also met many of uh, plenty of pastors who simply don't deserve this, this double honor thing that he's talking about. They don't work hard at study, they don't work hard at teaching, and they're getting by on charisma and personality. You know, they, they're not worth the money, simply put. Um, so no matter what your feelings are, Paul knew that people would feel strongly about this idea of financially supporting someone who gets up and, and you know, seemingly only works one hour a week. Um, well, we have two services on Sundays. I guess Chris works two hours a week, right? There's a little more to it than that. So he, he knew people would feel strongly about this, and he reminds his audience that this isn't just an opinion. Right? And verse 18, he says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So he quotes two different scriptures in this one verse. He says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. That's from Deuteronomy 25. Verse four. So he goes Old Testament, uh, and and you know basically he, he, this is a concept that we see way back there. But you know when the wheat and barley were harvested, uh, the actual grain used for making flour uh, it needed to be separated uh, from the stalks and the chaff. And there were a couple different ways you could do it. But one of the ways this was done was having your oxen just walk over the crop 
over and over through the piles of material. And the principle that God lays out in Deuteronomy is that you know if you expect your ox to, to do this work that feeds you uh, for hours and hours, you ought to let him at least have the freedom of stopping and eating, right? You don't muzzle him so he starves. Um, and then he quotes the New Testament, which, you know, they didn't have a New Testament yet, but he quotes Jesus. Uh, when Jesus, he was giving instruction, you know, in the Gospels, he sends 70 guys out to go, you know, start work. I've been doing this work, now I'm sending you guys to go do this work far and wide. He sends these 70 guys out and, he, and with various mission trips, and you can read about it, Luke 10, I think is the specifically where he's quoting from, uh, like verse 6 or 7. But Jesus, he instructs these men, he says, you know, when you go out and do all of this, some folks are going to offer you some hospitality. They're going to offer to let you stay in their home. They're going to offer to feed you. They're going to offer to, you know, give you some money or whatever. And he says, let them do that. Because, uh, you know, you're working hard, um, and have earned your, your wages, so to speak. In, this, in the letter that we've been studying on Sundays, 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this again in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. He says that the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So, basically he says, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with you making your living in ministry if you're doing a good job. Uh, it, if that's what God has called you to, uh, we see it even in the Old Testament, the Levites were, were supported by the Israelites' uh, tithes and offerings. And, you know, they were the people who were the priests and made sure the worship happened at the temple and the tabernacle and all that. However, it's not a great career for us. Uh, it's a calling. If, if it's something that you're thinking, that would be a good job, right? You only work on Sunday. And then, you know, you get paid, great, and, you know, it's a piece of cake. Uh, it's, no, that's not how it works. Uh, it is, it's not a great career choice. It's a calling. And if, if you, I always tell people, um, if you could be happy doing anything else, go do that. Continue to serve in your church. But if God has burdened your heart that this is what He's called you to do with, you know, 24 hours a day, uh, then you'll know. We'll read on here, verse 19. So this is this is not we're not just the whole message isn't about pay your pastor. Right? Um, verse 19, He says, "Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses." Landon did a great job talking about this. Uh, because, especially elders, because they're in a place of such uh, high-frequency attack, uh, he reminds Timothy, that don't jump to, to judgment at the accusation of one person. Right? You make, it, whenever you, um, in war, in battle, when people dig foxholes, right, the person who sticks their head up out of the foxhole becomes a target. And so this isn't just for pastors. Right? I, I've, I've seen this in people's lives. That 
they, they believe, they stepped out in faith, maybe they just got baptized, or they, they started teaching, or you know, attending a Bible study, and then all of a sudden they encounter some trial that they hadn't tried. And I'm like, well, that's, that's actually a good thing. That means you've popped up on the enemy's radar. If you've never bumped into opposition, never bumped into the devil, you may be walking the same direction. You know? um, and so when, you know, especially the, the pastor of a church is, uh, you know, a high visibility target. And so the law of God um, specifically stated that a matter had to be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses, and so not just one person. And this wasn't just for pastors or anything like that. In Deuteronomy 19, we're going to go back and read it real quick, verse 15. It said, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. And... If you're a note taker, you may underline that word witness. Witnesses. Not, um, well, I heard that so and so said this. I I saw on Facebook that so and so said that they saw this person do that. That's not a witness. He, he, uh, both in the Old Testament and the New, they use very specific language. It means an eyewitness. Somebody that, you know, I was there. I saw it. But keep in mind, the enemy wants nothing more than to, to destroy the church, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your testimony at work. He wants to bring you down. And so, I, I just caution you because... Like it or not, no matter how much we protest, no matter how much we say we don't like it, we all have a little taste to gossip. Okay. Maybe you don't think of it as gossip, but you like to hear the, the news as soon as it breaks. Right? You see who got indicted or whatever. You know. We like to know that stuff. We like to be in the know. We like to hear those tasty little morsels. Proverbs 26, verse 20, describes it this way. It says that fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. They're just delicious. Right? just love to hear, especially when it's bad news about somebody that we don't think that highly of. Right? We're already looking for a reason. And so this is something, I, it's taken me years to learn in a, um, through bad experiences. Uh, but I don't want to hear any gossip about another pastor or another person's ministry, you know, another ministry, unless there are just multiple witnesses and, and for, you know, you all have good reason to bring it to me, of all people. Because people love to, to gossip about, the, you know, the pastor at their old church or, or whatever, 
I just I've I've uh, put my foot in my mouth enough times that I I don't want to hear about it. Charles Spurgeon, uh, if you ever get the chance, if you're and you know if you're a reader, he there's a few books that uh, he put out just called Lectures to My Students, and it was notes that he made to uh, you know people who would become pastors or teachers in the church. And when he talked about gossip, he said this. He said this was his advice to, to preachers and pastors and, and to people in general. Uh, he said, this is, imp- this is very important, uh, and I need to give it my full attention. But my memory isn't so good, and I have a lot to think about. Can you write it all down for me in time? When someone brings you gossip, if you, if you give them that option, it's pretty rare that someone will say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll actually, everything I said is 100% factual and I'll sign it. Now, we all, we all make the, you know, color the story a little bit. Anyway, so if there are witnesses if, and, and there is sin, verse 20, 1 Timothy 5, verse 20, he says, those who continue in sin, Rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Some churches want to sweep pastoral sins, especially under the rug. And Paul says that that's the opposite of what should happen. It should be open rebuke. And there are lots of reasons. Uh, Landon touched on one, right? Like if, if we... Let everybody know what uh, Pastor so-and-so did, then the offerings will go down. Here, that's not a big issue because they can't get much lower. You know. uh, but you know, the, like the Catholic Church, as an example, wouldn't have had, I think, some of the troubles it's had if they had dealt with some of the priests who were abusers in a public way. And just, you know, here it is, here's what happened and we're dealing with it. There would be fewer people hurt in the long run than what has happened. Verse 21 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Listen, partiality and prejudice are grave sins. Especially in the New Testament, uh, it's made abundantly clear. Uh, if you have a problem with someone for their gender or their race, uh, you're, that's a sin. Galatians 3, verse 28, it says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One of the bigger <clears throat> dangers is most Christians will agree, yeah, you shouldn't hate someone. You should, especially shouldn't hate someone because they're a different color or or uh, what, what was the old song? Red, brown, yellow, black and white for all precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. 
we all agree on that stuff. But we have this other area where we do discriminate when it comes to class. In James 2, verse 1, James dealt with this. This is the brother of Jesus, right? Says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, and expensive jewelry. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom who uh, he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? <laughs> when I was studying this, that, that verse kind of jumped out at me. Uh, depending on your political leaning, you may be a part of a party that, like, is a little bit like a chicken voting for Colonel Sanders, you know. We're always supporting the wealthy. Because you dishonor the poor, isn't it the rich who oppress you, drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. I remember years ago, someone... Um, a well-meaning person got us, my wife and I and a few other people here in the church, got us tickets to a uh, concert at another larger church. Um, it was an artist that uh, you almost would have needed to pay me to go listen to them, you know, but uh, we were like, oh, thank you, and we, we went. Um, and we get there, and it was like open seating, right? It, it just grab a seat. So it's in, in a sanctuary much like this. It's a little bit bigger. But there was a section that was all roped off. And we thought, oh, that must be for like disabled people or the elderly or whatever. Uh, and no, it was all, it was, as we saw people come in, it was all the wealthiest people in the community, the people that, you know, the movers and shakers that had made sure this concert happened. And I was like, that's it seems like there's a passage that like quite literally says don't save a special seat for someone like that. But it, it, it happens. The tendency is to either play favorites with someone because we like them, uh, so we go a little easier on them, or, or because we're fearful of someone, so we hold back from doing what we know we need to do. And Paul and James both just reiterate the same thing that we shouldn't treat people differently just because of how they look, just because of how wealthy they are, or how influential they are. So that means even at work, you, you should treat your boss and your subordinates 
with the same level of respect. They're the same in Christ's eyes. And we all know that person that, that talks a little bit differently when the boss is around versus when they're not, right? First Timothy 5, verse 22. Uh, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. So up to this point, remember this is Paul's letter to Timothy, his um, you know, his confidant, his good friend, his his um, you know, the person that he had spent the most time with and training. And he's trying to give him some advice as, as his time is drawing to a, to a close. And so up to this point he says, Look, don't Timothy, don't listen to gossip about other elders. You need to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't feel bad about being paid for your labor. Uh, don't show favoritism. Don't be too quick, he says here, to give ministry authority to just anyone. Because it's easy to appoint the wrong leader. It's really hard to get rid of the wrong leader. And we, we've... we've dealt with those realities here as well. He says, you know, don't be in a, in a big hurry to uh, to say, oh, this guy is this, this, the next best great thing and, you know, let's give him all kinds of authority. Verse 23, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy was apparently, he was abstaining from drinking any alcohol of any kind in order to set an example, I think. And it's not a bad policy to have. You're better off to avoid it altogether. Uh, but, and, and earlier in the letter, when Paul was talking about elders, you know, he said they, they need to not be uh, addicted to wine. They, you know, he doesn't say they should never touch it ever, but like, that, you know, you don't want your pastor, you know, we don't need to be uh, pumping coffee into him on Sunday, as Landon said, you know, to keep him awake for his sermon. Um, but here he tells Timothy, but hey, I know you're trying to do a good thing, you're abstaining, but, uh, you know, wine was safer to drink in the ancient world than most water, especially when you traveled. And that's what Timothy was doing, traveling from church to church. And we have already seen that he, Timothy is a worrying, you know, a very nervous guy, very anxious, probably has some stomach problems. We call it IBS now, right? Uh, and Paul says, look, you know, don't wreck yourself while you're serving. In other words, don't sacrifice your own health. We can get so busy that we neglect our own health physical and spiritual. And I'm not just talking about in ministry. There are many mothers who have done this. Right? They do for everyone else and do for themselves last. And let some physical ailments go that they shouldn't have. Or they haven't made any time for themselves. Many men who have done the same thing. I'm going to work and work and work to make sure the bills are paid. I'm just going to ignore that pain that I've had for quite a while. Or I'm too tired to, to read my Bible. 
So we can get so busy in the work that we neglect the thing that makes the work possible. Remember, busy, we always say it stands for being under Satan's yoke. It's really easy to to get yourself out of things by saying, I'm too busy. But really, uh, being too busy or being overworked is really a a sign of laziness. That may seem counterintuitive, but that means you've not been disciplined about your time. You've allowed other people to schedule your time for you. You're not being disciplined, you're being lazy. Because it's hard work to be disciplined. It's hard work to tell people no. I'm preaching to myself here. I'm as busy as anybody I know. Did you notice here, and we're going to close here. I'm I'm running a little bit long. But you notice he's talking about Timothy. He says, you know, make sure, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. It's it's good for you. um, And this, you know, with the issues you have. But you notice he doesn't say, your stomach problems are there because you don't have enough faith, Timothy. He doesn't say, so Timothy, for a thousand dollars, I can send you a cloth that I sweated on and it will heal you of your, of your stomach problems. God can and does heal. I, I 100% believe that. And sometimes he does it through doctors. Uh, so take your meds. You know, some people have, have caused a lot of damage by convincing people that you know they're in sin by you know not trusting God enough, and you know they shouldn't take the medicine and all that. Take your meds. Take care of your meat wagon. What carries your soul around? It's important. Verse twenty-four. Uh, the sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, uh, their sins follow after. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. So sometimes what we see on the outside isn't really an accurate picture of what's really going on. And I think we've all seen that, right? We, we need to take it slow so we can wait and have some discernment. Um, a rush decisions are rarely good decisions. Uh, at the car lot, they love to get you on that, right? You need to you need to act, act quick. I got another buyer on the line. You need to buy this car right now. Walk away. When they start doing that, that's, you, you, they're trying to force you into a bad decision. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this. says, The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. So, bottom line, look, reputation matters. Uh, but you need to be you, not the version of you that you think other people want you to be. We're supposed to live our lives to please the Lord. First and foremost. And Jesus high priestly prayer, and we'll close with this passage. I encourage you to read this chapter. There's some beautiful stuff in here. John 17, verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And here's what Jesus says. He's at the end of his physical life. He says, I glorified you on the earth. 
having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. I, I, can, I can go to the cross with a clear conscience because I know I did what you wanted me to do. Don't lose any more sleep worrying what someone else thinks of you. Jesus, what is it you want me to do? Alright, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us another opportunity to study your word. And God, as we're studying these, these things that Paul said to Timothy about leadership and what it means to be an elder or a pastor, it can be easy to get lost in the weeds. And Lord, we just pray that you help us to to eat the fish and spit out the bones. Help us to get what's true, get what's right, and anything we've gotten incorrect, just wipe it from our minds and replace it with a zeal and a hunger to come back yet again and find the truth. Lord, we want to know you better. We want to know what it is that you want us to do. Help us to keep focused on that. And Lord, may we never mistreat people and we never show favoritism and we always see people as you see them as worthy of the blood you shed on the cross and thank you for all that you do 